Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the Post Questionnaire. 35 questions giving us insight into what makes creative people tick. Which living person do you most admire? Oh, there are so many. Um, on a personal level, right? Um, I will go, or rather, I will go. Will go to the personal sphere, and I would point to my mother, um, who taught me the importance of generosity towards those you love. Uh, my mother studied law in Puerto Rico while she was pregnant, wow. um, and having twins, meaning me and my twin brother um and she was studying for the bar um while heavily pregnant she passed the bar um and then she worked as a as an administrator not as a lawyer but obviously that knowledge comes in handy but um i feel like her indomitable spirit is something that has always remained with me um as well as her generosity towards us When my father died, I was in high school, she became the parent, right? She did this on her own. And that's something I've been very grateful and mindful of mm -hmm. um, because she made herself available um, and in ways that I feel like it was a volta in my youth. It taught me something. Yeah. Um, It taught me something about being a person within a tribe um, and how that person can unlock such grace and majesty in those around them. What is your greatest extravagance? Uh, <laughs> um, book buying. Yeah. Um, and I guess that goes back to my desire to know more. I will accumulate books and give myself a life assignment in that sense. <laughs> There are books waiting for me. Um, and books that I have started and realized, oh, it's the wrong time to read this. Mm -hmm. Let's try again six months from now. Yeah. Karamazov was a great example. Carried it for years and years and years. And it was during the pandemic where... It pierced me. The same with Rilke, for that matter. Rilke has been shared with me since I was an undergrad. Um, and it was the pandemic that mm. fleshed them out for me <clears throat> in ways I had no... Uh, I just wasn't prepared for certainly the Duino elegies. Mm -hmm. What is your current state of mind? Hectic. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning we are entering summer and with the thaw, I feel like my mind is becoming, uh, what is it, gassy? Gash. 
I I know the word in Spanish okay. and I can't gaseosa. I mean okay. it's gaseous. Gaseous. Yeah. That's it. Um, sometimes that happens to me. I Gazoo. know, I know the word. I know how to write it, and I can't. It just won't come out. Uh, but I feel like all the at- atoms are being activated and um, ready to suffuse the world. All right. What do you consider the most overrated virtue? Oh wow. Um, That is a tough one. This is why. I feel like the world, probably or possibly due to social media um, and virtues specifically, are becoming marketable. And so I guess my way of answering that is any virtue that could be potentially marketed, Mm -hmm. um, it's the marketing that I'm very suspicious of. Mm-hmm. Of mm-hmm. why is someone speaking about this online? What mm-hmm. do they want to? What are they promoting? Right? What brand? What are they branding? And to what purpose? Mm-hmm. So you can you can file many of them in there. Um, so it's not necessarily the virtue, but the means of announcing that virtue virtue to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm answering that question, yeah, no, but that's yeah, yeah. yeah. A friend of mine once, I stopped using Instagram basically forever a few years ago when I was sitting at dinner with a friend and we were talking about mm-hmm. this and kind of what people, wh- why do people choose mm-hmm. to expose all these parts of who they are, who they're trying to mm-hmm. be online? And she said, yeah, you know, my thing with Instagram is it's a mental illness. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was such a harsh statement, but I, the next time I went on Instagram, like the next day, I thought, you know what, I, I, maybe I don't need to do this. Maybe mm-hmm. there's something... For me, at least, maybe there's a dysfunction or a neurosis that's at play in feeling like I need to be a brand or feeling like I need to market myself in that It's interesting because one could say the same thing about writing. Sure. Uh, (laughs) Why do you feel the need? But I feel like the best way I I handle, how I handle social media is by constantly asking myself, what am I posting? Why am I posting? This morning, for example, I've been thinking with Hamlet for about a week because I'm running a class with James Shapiro in advance of the production at the public theater. Fantastic. Um, and I, there are things about that play that still bother me. Hmm. Um, and I can't wrap my head around certain decisions um, that he made. You mean Shakespeare? Shakespeare. Or, yeah. But then also realize that we're dealing with different versions, different folios. Right. Um, and so I went to Twitter, and my question was, I feel deeply that Hamlet was perhaps a Scorpio. <laughs> <laughs> With maybe some cancer in there. Discuss. <laughs> and so friends started chiming in, and I used, this was merely for personal reasons, I use some of those reactions to think about how the character mm. plays in some certain key scenes in, in the narrative. Um, and my, the question I'm grappling with now is, you know, everyone talks about Hamlet's madness, uh, but what triggers the madness? Um, and whether or not it, it comes or it springs from his inability to continue the family line. Um, or become king. Mm-hmm. But I can't answer that. Um, the play leaves issues unresolved, and it starts from that lack of resolution. Yeah. Um, 
which I guess we could point to negative capability as as that play makes me live in negative capability, mm-hmm. and it's deeply uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. It makes me, this makes me want to... But re- I think he's a Scorpio. I'm married to a Scorpio, and well, I would love to, I want to discuss yeah. that with you more later. <laughs> um, on what occasion do you lie? Uh, oh my God, I lie to myself all the time. <laughs> okay. Isn't that another life assignment, right? Um, the lying or the realizing the lying? Both. Yeah. Uh, I feel like a, a way of engaging with with lying is what is bearable to myself mm-hmm. and how I can approach that. Um, <laughs> but I feel like kindness invites at times a, a, the necessity of a lie Right, uh, but not necessarily of of a of a large magnitude, right? Like white lies, mm-hmm. also a very complicated term, right? Uh, but um, but it's such an interesting answer because I was I'd never heard this answer, and I thought, what if someone said I tell myself my own truth all the time? <laughs> what a delusional, dangerous person! Exactly. That yeah. Yeah. Right. As opposed to being able to recognize yeah. well, yeah, like what I can but, bear. Yeah. Yeah. Despite yeah. me having but, a good sense of who I am and right. what I, whom I become, still can't deny that there is a story I'm telling myself. But right. that recognition, people who actually think, no, they're actually telling themselves the truth. Yeah. Right. That seems really a stable truth. That seems yeah. terrifying. Yeah, like, yeah, they no, would be I dangerous. Would, I wouldn't trust they, that. And I feel yeah. like we can come up with recent, a few, a few. recent <laughs> political examples plenty. of yeah. that. Right. Uh, uh, sadly, plenty. Um, <laughs> This may be, I'm now thinking, this is certainly one of the occasions on which I lie to myself. What do you dislike most about your appearance? Oh. <laughs> so, um, a lot. Oh. <laughs> but, right, so this is where lying comes in. No, um, uh, you know, if I were to stand in front of a mirror, I feel like I have to see myself often to the point that I remember, oh, this is my face. Oh, this is my belly. Oh, right. right? And that's that's where I find where I find love, right? But initially I'm very uncomfortable with my in my skin and with my skin. Um and but thoughts about my own appearance are not always at are not always top of mind mm-hmm. right as a as a poet you're always interested in surface um and questioning mm-hmm. what surface points to um so i wonder if that's what made me a poet right not mm-hmm. feeling comfortable in my skin uh but i also wouldn't have any other skin i'm quite content generally especially in the evenings with with the skin I inhabit. But in the mornings, mornings, not so much. Probably because I'm hyper aware of uh, my consciousness and how that's really a product of biological processes. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which living person do you most despise? <laughs> um, there is a particular brand of politician who will weaponize a self-serving truth. Mm. Um, and that's easy to hate, right? That's easy to despise. Uh, what makes it even more egregious is when that weaponization leads to deep harm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have recent examples. The one that lives in my body and visits me often is uh, 
the federal response against Hurricane when Hurricane Maria. Um, that is, I just remember feeling so desperate um, and knowing that a lot of policy was set or example was set by someone who had no interest, no understanding of our place in the world and what we owe each other and how that definition of we has to be always expanding yeah. to include more and more. And mm. instead of always constricting. Exactly. Yeah. All right. This is maybe <laughs> inversely related. And again, this is very gendered. These questions are from the 1880s, mm-hmm. 1890s. So what is the quality you most like in a man? Oh, hands. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's not a quality. It's a, you know. <laughs> and what, is, and what is the quality you most like in a woman? <laughs> this is a very gendered. <laughs> oh, great question. Um, I say hands because hands is what make make things happen, right? Like we are human because we have a very distinct, right? Uh, the Sex Pistols have a song called You Need Hands. Well, you know? yeah, right. well, exactly. We need hands, right? right? It's by yeah. virtue of our evolution that we can make things Opposable happen. Thumbs, exactly. Yeah. I can rely on Caroline. You have Virginia Woolf and I have yeah. every song <laughs> ever sung everywhere. I, I, would say, I would say the same for all genders. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and regardless of the, the, the binary, right? Um, uh, one of my favorite phrases um, in Spanish is manos a la obra, which means let's use these, let's employ these hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so hands. Okay. All right. Um, which words or phrases do you most overuse? Oh, I'm going through. Uh Right, so we all writers have a stock of words. I oh. feel like we have, uh, let's say, five thousand that we revisit often. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to answer as a writer because I'm thinking about my book, um, not about the way I conduct myself in the world because that requires more thought. Right. And we have limited time. But I've been falling in love with adverbs, and I feel like certain adverbs in Spanish are have entered my recent poems, specifically adverbs that denote location and time. Um, ahora, meaning mm-hmm. now. Um, that kind of that kind of word is deeply annoying to me because, <laughs> right, like, I keep asking myself, what about this requires clarification? Right. Yeah. yeah. Or, or quantification. Mm-hmm. What or who is the greatest love of your life? Other than myself, of course. Um, I feel like, and I hope many will empathize, probably Proust would. Um, I mean, I could name names, but I feel like the names are not as interesting as is the act of naming, by which I mean, when we think of a person that we have loved, we're really talking about a composite. Yeah. Um, and the narratives that we have created surrounding them, about them, through them, with them. Mm-hmm. So the person I created and I thought was worthy of love, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's very Proustian. Yeah. I mean, Albertine, mm-hmm. exactly. the Duchesse de Guermont, all of them, yeah. Gilbert. Yeah, and they will know. And and they will know, and they are, but they are also composites. Yeah. And then the falling exactly. out of love is recognizing the degree to which you yourself. Yep. That those characteristics were in you and not in them. Exactly. Um, when and where were you happiness happiest? Uh, 
is very strange to me because I would say as much as I am a creature of community, it is afternoon loneliness that makes me feel worthy of being in the world. There's something about light in New York City, right? Everyone says Paris is the city of lights. I have to correct that. New York City is the city of lights. And you can just walk around and see how light washes certain buildings, certain textures throughout the day. And um, I like being at the center of it because my mind makes me the center of it. Um, and it's not, what is that term, the golden hour? Yeah. I would say dusk, right? Um, I like 3 p.m. in the summer. I also love 7 or 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time mm -hmm. uh, when I feel like the city just washes everything in a certain kind of blue, um, Joni Mitchell blue, oh. um, that just feels so palatable to me mm. and reflective of inner energy. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. It's like contemplation. Yeah. I just love it. I feel like I can taste it. And it washes over my cab, too. And I just, oh. I hope he loves it as much as I do. And also, it's something that cannot be captured on a phone because the lens is not sensitive enough. Yeah. It's like taking a photograph of the moon using your phone. You will see the afterglow, right? right. Whatever reaches the lens. Yeah. Um, I've failed at that so many times. I have so many failed moon photos on my exactly. phone. I mean, yeah. It will never happen. It will never. <laughs> Thank you for disabusing me <laughs> of at least one yeah. ongoing illusion. Which talent would you most like to have that presumably you do not already have? Uh, the ability to build actual objects from scratch. Mm, hands again. I see. Hands again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, during the pandemic, right, we were all inside. For substantial periods of time and we all became handy folk right mm -hmm. this needs to be fixed that needs to be fixed but i was never able to build a bookshelf i would love to build a bookshelf <laughs> i would love to build my own desk mm. um i remember when i was young um we would i would help my father paint the house mm. and i have this very specific memory of watching the olympics the barcelona olympics as we were painting the living room Right, so the hands doing the work, mm -hmm. um, building from scratch. And what is uh, a handy person if not a mender? Yeah, yeah. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? You know, an easy way out is to say nothing. Okay. Uh, but um, I don't know, this is why I love being in therapy because this is, if not the crux of therapy, whether or not you can enact a process whereby you change, you are different, you have shrunk uh, <laughs> the pain. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I wouldn't change anything, but I would engage in the process of thinking that things could change. Mm -hmm. The impossible task of changing. What do you consider your greatest achievement? Uh, you know, this comes from a position of privilege because I was in the city. I had access to all these resources, but uh, surviving the dread of Hurricane Maria, uh, that was very difficult for a sustained amount of time. It imprinted itself on me um, and my family, they were fine. They had no power for 
a few months. Oh my god. But and there were people who lost everything and I couldn't stop thinking. The refrain was Puerto Rico is powerless in a literal sense, but also in a political sense. Mm -hmm. And that is a refrain that crossed my mind every day for months. And I had a tally of the days internalized. Like I wasn't even writing it. I just had a tally and I knew it. Mm. Um, so yeah. Like a prisoner. Exactly. Yeah. If you were to die and come back as a person or a thing, what would it be? Um, waves. 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 Um, I feel like that's pretty ex explanatory. I come from Puerto Rico. I grew up near, near or nearish uh, a beach. But, you know, during the pandemic where I couldn't fly back home, I would walk to Eastern Parkway and sit on the benches. And the sound of cars passing, it reminded me of waves. Mm. And I thought, oh, this is just me feeling this. I was on the phone by Eastern Parkway. A few weeks ago, and a friend, a friend said, are you by the beach? And I'm like, nope, Eastern Parkway. <laughs> um, and I, 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 you know, I feel like, obviously, there's Virginia Woolf's The Waves, right. but I was also, which is a phenomenal book that undoes me. Um, also, I feel like Virginia Woolf was a psychopath, and I love her for it. Someone dies in every book, or in most of them, right? Um, again, bless her for it. But um, I also read... Uh, Italo Calvino's Mr. Palomar recently, and it starts with waves, and uh, he makes a distinction between contemplating and, well, I'm not sure if I completely understand his distinction, but I do remember uh, the experience of, right, the kind of action that a wave enacts coming forth, drawing back. Mm -hmm. I remember that very pointedly in that book and how it felt like strategy for the entire narrative. Um, and also indicative of structure, right? It w It is the book structure. Um, so again, waves, they're everywhere in my life. I, hmm. I, I want to suggest that the correct, Virginia will probably <laughs> correctly diagnosed, someone dies in every book. Yeah. And someone lives in every book. Oh, God, that's right. And I think they're kind of... <laughs> that's right. There's the wave. Yeah, yeah, that is the wave. It gives... It is, there is something about this that she was fascinated by that. That's right. She's not a psychopath. There's always a lily. Yeah, there's... There's some, always a lily someone. who gets her vision. And that's mm -hmm. the end, but in many ways, yeah, an envoy. And it's, it's an envoy. You know, hmm. Mrs. Dalloway says, you know, he made us see the pleasure. He made us see the fun. Like, mm -hmm. So someone dies... It's terrible. Yeah. And she lives. And in yeah. some ways, I think Wolf was, mm -hmm. was sort of that kind of being suspended there. Yeah. And it's... Septimus, sorry for the spoilers. For those of you who <laughs> haven't read Virginia Woolf, please quit this interview and get thee to a bookstore. But um, Septimus's death was very painful for me. Yeah. Uh, but isn't it kind of an organizing principle? towards the last chunk of the book. You yeah. cannot have... Yeah. It's like the book cannot exist without his demise. Yeah. Yeah. Even the joy cannot exist without the demise. Or even, yeah, I'm thinking now in To the Lighthouse, the the house dies mm -hmm. and then comes back to life, right. too. So I, it, that is such an interesting yeah. model of... And Mrs. Ramsey 
Yeah. Dies in a bracketed sentence. Yeah, exactly. That's Listen. so amazing. Which yeah. is like the that's, way when you said, but when you said way, psychopath, I thought of that immediately. That like the casual every time yeah. I and see it, brackets, it's, it's, it yeah. stops your heart because it's yeah because it's a side comment. Yeah, yeah. And both <laughs> well, someone's death is the most momentous and also it's a side event. Right. And I I was telling so Rachel Cohen did a series of uh, classes for us on. Virginia Woolf and at I, the 92nd Street Y. Yes, yeah. exactly. Over Zoom, and I told Rachel, "Listen, this book is hard. Every time I see, I saw brackets. I wanted to take the book and throw it out the train. Mm-hmm. It is a book that <laughs> things happened in my body because of the book. And every time I see brackets, I am immediately bracing for death. Mm-hmm. Thanks huh. to Wolf." Uh, yeah. She made bracket. me suspicious, right? And orange brackets are kind kind of waves too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, where would you most like to live? I want to go back to Puerto Rico. Okay. Um, <laughs> but not now. I have so many things to accomplish. But I see a version of myself where I am uh, living outside the metro area, and um, the kind of generative rest I experience by. Being home and knowing I'm from there. Mm. Um, and of course, the country has evolved uh, without me, right? It's developed language mm. that I have no access to. Even if I visit often and I'm in constant touch with friends and family, I just feel like I need to recover that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is your most treasured possession? <laughs> uh, I... The first thing I think of, right, when it's, I have an image, right? I have images, right? That question generates images, and maybe that's the possession, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, I mean, right before I went to college, my mother gave me uh, laminated, um, we call them estampas, but I'm... Uh, like, um, stamp, uh, what are they called? It, it's, it's like a, a little card of... Um, El Divino Niño Jesús, which is uh, the young child, yeah. uh, Christ as a child. Um, and it was so that I would not feel alone. I feel like she gave that to all of her sons mm-hmm. and her daughter. And um, it's always with me. Really? It's always with me. Nice. Oh, and it's a very Catholic thing to, or very Puerto Rican mm-hmm. thing to do, to have those little stamps around. And uh, this one is always with me. Mm. What do you regard as the lowest depth of misery? <laughs> um, wow, that's quite the question, Mr. Proust. Um, I I feel like misery is something that your body knows, your body feels. Um, it feels intestinal. <laughs> um, I would probably point to moments in which I felt extreme anxiety and um, for some reason, I'm. I make a distinction between the thinking mind and the heart, which is to the north of the body, mm. and anything under it. It feels instinctual, right? I feel like that's what we've all been taught, and um, misery feels like it belongs in the lower part of the body, my anxiety when it manifests itself. And in fact, I'm not sure if I took my Lexapro this morning, so I may feel some anxiety later today. But it feels like it's affecting circulation in the lower part of my body. So like, I feel like even gravity is no longer 
a, a an anchoring force. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what misery feels like to me, and that's how I can engage with that question. Yeah, <laughs> go yeah. straight to the body. <laughs> well, and even the metaphorics of the question, the lowest depth of misery. Yeah. You know, we're not saying what is the highest peak yeah. of misery. It is that kind of yeah. And what's interesting to me is that world. it's sort of dictated, right? Biologically dictated by what I would call the north. Right. The, the, the upper hemispheres of the body. Yeah. It's the heart and the mind dictating, or the mind and its construction of a heart rate. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious, since you refer to Caroline, what do you think what Proust would, say, would have said? Since he writes volume after volume, and we've had a podcast, Caroline and I, about um, a la recherche, but like, what do you think Proust would have said? What is the lowest depth of misery for a person? You know, I... I think you and I have talked about this before and um, that I was thinking about this, Ricky, when you were speaking about books that are waiting for mm-hmm. you. And I, I've now said many times, my last book was about Proust and I've, I've now said many ta- times mm-hmm. something that was true, which was that I, I'm a French lit professor. Mm-hmm. I've had to grapple with Proust many times throughout my life, starting in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was only when I was 40 and my first marriage was starting to fall apart that I read him and it was like, oh, yeah. wait, this. And so I read Proust specifically <laughs> with an eye toward okay, there's so much wisdom, there's so much humor, but there's so much profundity. Maybe I can get some answers about the kind of just wretched misery I was waking up and feeling every day. And that kind of, as you were saying, the tally in the body, if I can feel it, and I know this is another day as soon as I wake up that is going to be hard to get through, whatever. But I will say that Proust disappointed me in this respect Mm. because he had a typically sophisticated answer that I think is true. And he talks about, you know, the... The worst pain that one sees in his book is kind of the pain associated with with jealous lovers, mm-hmm. right? So Swan in volume one, yeah. or then Albertine in the yeah. kind of the Albertine cycle later in the novel. And at some point, Proust says, but the real pain that I had wasn't thinking that I had lost her or that she had broken my heart. It was that one day I wouldn't even feel that anymore. Yeah. And so for him, I think that, you know, the, the greatest depth of misery is, and he talks a lot about habit with a capital H and how habit dulls our ability to kind of perceive things finely. And we we gloss over them. Oh, I walk past this building every day. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking at the fall of the New York light. I'm thinking about, am I going to be late for my class or whatever? Um, And so I think that for him, the, the habit that comes in, I think, to save us in many ways from extreme pain, you can't at least if you're taking Lexapro or in my yeah. case, some other cocktail, you, you, you can't live in that extreme pain all the time. Yeah. And so at a certain point, by, as a survival mechanism, you need to get dulled to it. But I think what Proust objects to in that survival mechanism is that it takes away your insight. It yeah. takes away the accuracy with which you're actually understanding that's, yourself in the world. That's what my therapist would say. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I do want to say what I find very interesting about what you just said is that in many ways you're talking about how you have translated Proust <laughs> throughout your life. Yeah. Right. Um, and I wonder if a part of him not knowing really his writing beyond uh, the series. Yeah. Um, but perhaps if a fear would have been his inability to complete this, his inability to keep translating memory into text. Yeah. He's got a beautiful part in, so he supposedly wrote volume, the first volume Mm -hmm. and the final volume first. And so he knew there was going to be this circular structure. And 
But he does say at some point in volume seven where he's, again, this is a spoiler and people mm. have yelled at the, me for this because I mentioned the spoiler early on in my, in my book about Proust. But my assumption is anyone reading the book kind of has a vague idea of yeah. what Proust is about anyway. But so in volume seven, he reaches this decision where the only way to redeem all the lost mm. and wasted time is to try to yeah. put his experiences into writing mm -hmm. and, and his insights. And he says at some point, if I die... And so he's writing about this book hypothetically, the mm -hmm. book that he's in fact already written, but yeah. his character is, is preparing to write it. He says, in, if I died, I, if I died early, if I got run over by a tramway, if, mm -hmm. I, if I got very sick, I would be, it wouldn't just be the architect of the building that I would be building. It mm -hmm. would also be the raw material yeah. that I would take with me, not only the ability to kind of shape mm -hmm. all this, but actually just the substance. And yeah. I think that there was that fear. I think it haunted yeah. him to the end. And of course, he didn't really finish it. You know, yeah. the... Um, he didn't really finish it, but the one of the last scenes that he wrote is the you know the death of the author Belgaud, yeah. where he's resurrected yeah. in the form of his book. So one likes to feel yeah. like I mean Proust worked so hard to give us something so incredible mm -hmm. that I like to think that his last moments of consciousness, if he was thinking about his book, he on balance felt pretty much like he had gotten to yeah. do what he wanted to do. But yeah, I'm sure I you're right. I want to say as a reader, also, as far as I'm concerned, this cycle is complete. Yeah, I can't think of. Uh, in search of lost time as there being extra time, right? Like right. it's just, I just can't, it just it feels so an antithetical to the kind of finality that uh, the presses market by all these volumes. This is all there is. That's yeah. it, right? Yeah. Um, and um, maybe someone will write around Proust yeah. and um, other other memories of things that have gone by, but as far as I'm concerned, this is it. This is done. Yeah, I agree. Well, the enigma is then he wrote it down for others. Yeah. That it's strange in a way. That yeah. there's a way in which if it's he managed to stay alive to his mm -hmm. suffering yeah. enough to turn it into art. But mm -hmm. then he that this is becomes a book yeah. for us. Yeah, he says he wants his book to be an optical instrument yeah. in which you view not your himself not him, but yourself. But yourself. And that is different from other people. Yeah. Like it's it's a strange. Isn't that the? I, I just immediately think of uh, the church and the stained glass in the mm -hmm. first volume, mm -hmm. right? That's what we look through. Uh, but also interestingly, as I was sharing sharing earlier before we started recording, a writer like Louise Louise Erdrick, for example, when she's writing, Proust is around, and she will revisit Proust. And there are many writers who do that. Um, so I guess the project isn't has a certain kind of finality because the book is printed, but it yeah. also has another kind of afterlife. Well, yeah. Caroline, for you, though, is the book then, if it's supposed to be an optical instrument to see yourself, you. Mm -hmm. But in a certain way, you said Proust kind of didn't give you the consolation you mm -hmm. were hoping mm -hmm. because he actually says, stay attuned to your suffering. Yeah. Don't deaden yourself to your suffering, right. which mm -hmm. is a phrase from Dickinson. Yeah. But in some ways, it's a disappointment but do you look at it now, again, let's say 15 years later, yeah. but did it give you another kind of, another access to life? Hugely, no. I mean, I look at it, I think, 
I am not nearly as interesting as anything that's written in Proust. And so I would rather always have the optical instrument trained yeah. on the kind of insight and subtlety and hilariousness yeah. and weirdness and kink and uh, awful, you know, yeah. awful, awful human behavior. I would I would always ultimately rather be looking at that than at me, which is also why I'm a biographer, right? Like that, right, but, I, that's more interesting. But let's not but, forget that you're still looking at yourself, right? Yeah. To, the, to, to your point, Uli, right? Mm. Like you will always be seeing yourself through this book. No, that's, and it's a huge gift, yeah. I think, because it's, you know, I don't, Bruce certainly didn't send back to me uh, an idealized image of myself. Yeah. He said, you know, the, the optical instrument showed me a limitation in mm -hmm. my thinking. So what did he give you? So in some ways, because people look at literature as consolation. Yeah. So what did he give you when you were in the depth of misery, which was the question we started out with, mm -hmm. and you turned to Bruce as a he didn't console you. No, yeah. no, not at all. I, yeah, because again, he didn't give me what I was looking for. It, I would say he gave me rigor. Yeah. Mm. You know, rigor. Like, you know what? Look again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, poor little sad crying divorcee. Like, yeah. you know, sitting in your hotel room in the <laughs> yeah. south of France at a wedding. Oh, my husband isn't here. It's so hard to be me. They're like, okay, maybe. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. look again. Like, think about this a little bit more. Yeah. And, and I think also well. when we talk nowadays about, about privilege... I think that, you know, Proust is such a kind of a handy mm -hmm. antidote for so much of that because it's always, no matter who you're judging or you're judging yourself too harshly or you're judging mm -hmm. someone else too harshly, look again, look yeah. more closely, think about what you're seeing, think about what you're feeling. And um, so, yeah, I think he mm -hmm. gave me rigor, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. if not, con definitely not consolation. Mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. You know, sorry to, to keep going back to Swan's Way, but it's a book that's fresh in my mind, but there's a... You know, I keep looking at that primal scene, the primal scene uh -huh. everyone knows, the mother, yeah. right, waiting for the mother. And because I feel like we've all had similar experiences and it's not consolation what I derive when I revisit that scene, but it is complication. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like that's even my reading of Swan is made more complicated the more I encounter it. Initially, I kept thinking oh, this sounds like I feel very similar to him as, a, say, a Puerto Rican in this country, right? I, I feel like very much oh, like, like an outsider. Swan being the, the honorary Jewish member of the exactly. nobility. Exactly. Yeah. But then... Interesting. What do you do with a scene where... I keep thinking of that opera scene where he shows up. Is it an opera? I can't remember exactly, but he shows up. Um, oh, that is there. And he shows up because it's he feels perfectly entitled to be there. Yeah. And I'm like... That's a pretty, that's a big move. What are you doing there, yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that complication, that ability for characters to inhabit several different mm -hmm. psychological geographies simultaneously and for those readings to be unlocked later on in life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, and that you're always unlocking new ones, yeah. which is why reading that book never gets old. Mm -hmm. I always try to explain to my st students that the reason the book has to be three or 4,000 pages mm -hmm. long depending on the edition, is that it ha it mimics the experience of moving through time yeah. and the way that your understanding of the world yeah. changes all along the mm -hmm. way. One hopes so. Yeah. Yeah. I think the great dread in this is that people move through life and do not yeah. even amount to 4,000 pages, yeah. that do not be alive to life. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great fear, to be, to be dead, to, to, be, yeah. to be asleep while, you know, in life. Which is why I think all the aristocrats that he sees at the yeah. final mm. matinee scene, they all, you know, in, in French, a, 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 
a version of it, a manuscript version of it that of that last scene where he's at a party and mm-hmm. he's he's been away from Paris during the war because he's been sick and he's been taking cures and stuff. And he comes back and he's like, oh, I didn't realize that it was a costume party where we all have to dress as our own death mask yeah. <laughs> because everybody looks cadaverous. Yes, and the Duchesse yeah. de Guermont, the great heroine mm-hmm. of his youth and the great yeah. ideal of the aristocracy, she looks like a fossil. Yeah. He says she looks like a prehistoric fish. Yeah. And these are people who haven't, as our therapists would say, mm-hmm. done the work. Yeah. They've calcified. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, Proust, it, it used to drive me crazy in graduate school. I hated people who would say to me, and I mean, you remember this, because Willie and I were in grad school together, oh, everything is in Proust. Yeah. Like, shut up. No, everything is in Mallarmé. You know, everything oh, is really? in Wolf. Everything, yeah. And, but Mallarmé? Now, I mean, just, you know, yeah. whatever I was happened to be into at the time, mm-hmm. I would want to, yeah. just by spirit of kind of like orneriness mm-hmm. and don't don't condescend to me and tell me again how everything is improved except that now mea culpa everybody i was wrong like everything yeah. is always improved i it just uh, yeah, yeah. yeah well yeah. i want to sort of complicate something yeah. you said fully too that perhaps the real fear the real horror is that not that not all of us have the ability to live this four or five thousand six thousand page life but that we can't revisit it mm. because also let's say like how possible mm-hmm. is it to mm-hmm. read mm-hmm. all of these books in a lifetime? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right? And mm-hmm. isn't that isn't there a horror in that? Like, generally, when I revisit, there I is have to go... go to a bookstore. Yeah. 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 Or a library. Yeah. I feel like, why am I even trying? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But but it's like, there. I, I would rather revisit scenes <laughs> than revisit <laughs> the entire architecture, right? Yeah. I would rather see the stained glass than, than the entire church. Sure. And that, yeah. But and that's where I am now, right? right? Sure. No, and your human perception, you know, it, our perceptions are always partial regardless, yeah. which is why you can't take in anything all yeah, exactly. Um Voila. I'd be Leonard with a glass of milk here. So <laughs> what is your favorite <laughs> occupation, meaning a profession or something, presuming not one you currently... Not, I'm not going to talk about mine because um, I would rather talk about baseball. Baseball players, there's oh. a... I mean, this is... I think everyone talks about this, even... Isn't the thesis of Ken Ken Burns' documentary on baseball the the poetry of baseball, mm. meaning the fact that it requires patience. There is a ritual. There are certain refrains. I find that sport very moving, and at times more moving because you find yourself doing nothing, just watching, very discreet gestures, um, and at times nothing happens for hours uh, but I just love it I also grew up playing baseball and my brothers play ba- baseball my dad used to take us to baseball games in Puerto Rico uh, during the winter months the winter league and so there's a personal connection but also philosophical hmm. uh, engagement with the poetics and the rules of the sport hmm. um, and it, it's no no surprise that people use baseball metaphors to describe all aspects mm-hmm. of life mm-hmm. love uh, right. uh, death. I mean, it's just or or being lost, right? Like often, often left field, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I feel like those uh, baseball. It because it's part of, right? It's part of our foundational myth. Myth. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. using our our in quotation marks, right? It's part of a foundational myth, but it's also a sport that has its own presence all over the world. Mm-hmm. One would say the same thing about football or soccer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not American football, but f- football. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, baseball players. Right. They're doing the work. Doing that work. <laughs> doing the work of living, right? <laughs> right? No, and the discreet gestures. I lived in London one summer when I was a kid and was 
was trying to train for a marathon and I would jog around and mm -hmm. around a field where people were playing cricket. And mm -hmm. for the life of me, it felt like nothing was happening. You know, yeah. every day for three months I would watch and it, nothing happened. And baseball always, you're well, making me feel like I need to look again. Happening, right? No, you're making me realize that like with Proust, I've always been annoyed by people who wanted me to love baseball when I didn't. And yeah. now I need to go back and try. <laughs> yeah. um, so thank you for that. Uh, what is your most marked characteristic? Do we have to mark market? <laughs> I know. Yeah, Willie and I have gone back and forth on you. I think what, what people notice first, maybe about you. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm enthusiastic. I mean, when I'm in, I'm in. And generally, I like to surround myself with things that I that are worthy of my attention and my love. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, I have to say, just speaking firsthand, um, that struck me right away when you walked in. You know, you and Uli knew each other, and we did not. And so, thank you for that. I want to be makes this a pleasure. I feel yeah. like it's great. I think we all should be more intentional in life, right? Right. If you're going to be here, be happy to yeah. be here. And that doesn't mean that we land, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know. Be there, be intentional, be present. Mm -hmm. That's, there's something really sexy and yeah. beautiful about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bring some, put some, put your back into mm -hmm. it. Manos a, lo, uh, what a la this? obra. A la obra. Um, <laughs> what do you most value in your friends? Um, availability. Um, this doesn't need to be sort of qualified, but I love speaking on the phone, being on the phone with my friends for as long mm -hmm. as I can. Who are your favorite writers? Oh God, that question. Of course, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna single out the ones that I'm in love with now. Um, wow, even that's hard. Um, so right now, the writers I am living with always Cesar Vallejo, great Peruvian poet. Um, always Gwendolyn Brooks, and I'm gonna call her perhaps the singularly the best poet this country has produced. Um, and that's fighting words, but I invite everyone to take a look at her work. Um, I've been reading a lot of a lot of prose, um, so you know I read Anna Karenina recently, and it is often that I think about the title, the book as technology. Um, so Anna Karenina is certainly up there. Um, I mean, I could go on, but I feel like I don't even know why I mentioned Corona. I'm a little surprised, just but just it's it's still new to me. I read that novel what two years ago, and it's still very fresh in my mind. Um, specifically, Levin, but um, but uh, I don't know. I had someone else, and it just sort of like oh, obviously Virginia Woolf. She never disappoints. Mm -hmm. The brackets, yeah, never disappoints. <laughs> Who is your hero? And I would expand this to say, or heroine of fiction. And I would expand that to say, movies, TV, novels, kind God, of that's fictional like, character. Now that you introduce, yeah, the more, other arts, right? Um, um, I'm gonna say just because <laughs> I read Ulysses recently. Oh. Um, I don't know if I can say this. I don't know if I can say it. Now I'm gonna say it. No. <laughs> You know, it's it's surprising to me to read that book and feel such kinship by virtue of being a colonized subject. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt like I'm, I'm going to say Joyce. Okay. <laughs> because even the 
the joys that we see through his work is a recreation okay um right an assemblage Mm -hmm. he himself makes and you know there are certain portions of that of ulysses that i find very complicated and (laughs) objectionable and somewhat Mm -hmm. despicable but um (laughs) there's something about the energy of that book that just speaks to me Mm. so i'm gonna Mm -hmm. i'm gonna land there but of course that's gonna change in the future sure give me a week Okay. Which historical figure do you most identify with? Yikes. It's so presumptuous of me to think of a historical figure, but let's say that we're drinking with Proust. Mm. I'm going to say Joan of Arc. Okay. <clears throat> I like it. Who are your heroes in real life? Oh, my God. So, of course, my mother, my siblings, my country, uh, my island, um... There's something really beautiful about seeing them gather and kick out <laughs> uh, the then governor. I was I've never been more energized than we did protests here in the city, mm-hmm. and we met um, at uh, 59th Street, and we walked all the way down to uh, uh, Grand Central Station. We walked through the streets like literally the police were by us and saying please move to the sidewalks it was raining and we did not care and we took over grand central uh, uh over the train station and i was just remember the filming and i'm like uh my tribe hmm. <laughs> the collective and individual tribe taking into consideration how tribes can be dangerous i mean all sorts of things what are your favorite names 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 Interesting. So, um, so I'm Ricardo Alberto, right? Maldonado Rodriguez. Um, in Puerto Rico, we use both last names. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mother didn't know she was having twins, so I had another name. My mother had thought of another name, Alberto Luis. Um, and when my when we were born, um, my mother had to enlist the help of <laughs> my aunt. To come up with names, and so Ricardo is my name. My twin brothers is Roberto, but so I like Alberto Luis. That would have been my my name. It feels like such a Borges story. Yeah. Uh, but also the three words, the three names I love hearing all the time. The names of my nephews. It's just they have such beautiful compactness to them. Felipe, Damian, and Sebastian. I just love that they are out in the world. Someone said, let there be nephews in. <laughs> Someone. There were. Yeah. Um, this again, this is the glass of milk. What is it that you most dislike? Period. Period. Question mark. Um, oh, God, I hate people who are disingenuous. Okay. I can tell them. I can tell it a mile apart. All right. And I also do not like people who market themselves above community. It's just like mm. I am... In the community context, selling myself, I'm like, mm, I can't handle, I find I have a lot of difficulty with that. And given my line of work, I see that often. Right. I just, mm-hmm. people would rather come with their fears, with their love, uh, apprehension. I welcome all that. Mm-hmm. But I, I would just hope that people were honest, mm-hmm. open, yeah. you know, open the heart. Yeah. It is kind of interesting when you say you're in the that field this, mm-hmm. is, this is not necessarily no i mean arts administration yeah, right yeah. Yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 well the artist has brand mm-hmm. yeah. well that too uh what is your greatest regret um that i was not honest 
with myself and therefore honest with the other. Mm-hmm. How would you like to die? That is the most terrifying question. I know. I know. Uh, Again, I'm leaving. This is my last I, question to you. Yeah, I'm leaving I, on a high I, note. So I grew up. No way. We're being told that death was not an ending, but a beginning, right? Um, that eternal life was possible. So any configuration, because I do not believe in the afterlife, at least not yet. Really? Okay, so despite the, ca- the yeah. intense Catholic upbringing or because not, of it? Yeah. yeah, I do not. I don't know if it's because of it. I just yeah. like, I. my heart has found no proof. Not that it's looking for proof, right. um, but I just don't. But I know that ghosts exist. I know that. I feel it. I feel presence. I feel uh, ancestors. Um, but any kind of cessation or configuration of such makes me deeply uncomfortable so i will let proust figure that one out what is your motto manos a la obra (laughs) and then this is our last that's great um in fact yeah we all need to get back to whatever other work we're doing but thank you for doing the work of this questionnaire with us and um we've loved having you and uli and i um put our hands to work and added one question to this uh, list of 35 Mm. questions, which is, who would you recommend? Who would you most like to hear giving the answers to these questions, doing this questionnaire? And we're going to limit it to living people Mm. because we're always looking for uh, great ideas about who else to have on. So who would you recommend? I would like to hear Lydia Davis um, tackle the questionnaire for obvious reasons. Right. Um, and also, I treasure her conciseness. Same. Um, and it seems so, it seems at odds with the Proustian project. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that aside, um, there's this great poet, um, Omotara James. Um, she's a friend. I met her through the Y when she won the Discovery Contest. And I just feel so humbled by the magnitude of of her project um and she is someone who is thinking about specifics and thinking about what's abstract at the same simultaneously that ability to handle both of course that's the the art of the writer but i just i find it very inspiring well, those are great suggestions. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. And every every person who has spent time listening to the three of us, they deserve to be here, too. Okay. <laughs> Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you, audience. Thank you and your alter ego, alter ego Alberto Luis. Exactly. Do you ever use that for, like, restaurant reservations no, or hotel? No, yeah. I usually go with the name of a famous person. <laughs> <laughs> Hoping to get a better table. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, I never thought of that, actually. <laughs> Yeah. I, I if you want that name, table, I name they can pronounce. Yeah. Oh, it's right. very basic. Yeah. Right. If you want that table, if you want the the duck, you gotta use that name. Okay. okay. There you go. All right. So uh, we want to thank our listeners. This was a post questionnaire with Caroline Weber and Uli Bear. Uh, our guest was Ricardo Maldonado, who is executive director of the Academy of American Poets and a poet. I'm a we poet. Look forward to your next book. Um, and you can find this podcast on all the platforms where podcasts are available and on the New Books Network. And uh, I think this is probably episode 39 or so. So if Good you number. want to discover any other guests, mm. please 
find us. We have a couple of websites and you can find all the other guests. We've had a couple distinguished poets who Ricky has worked with and writers, um, but a range of other people. So thank you again, Ricky, for being thank on you, the Ricky. show today.